the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. I have to tell you, you listeners are awesome. You are, you know why? You made this show in the month of August the number one show and you know who I give that credit to? My listeners. I have great listeners, and that's because they are dedicated to quality of life, to change for people with disabilities. They are the best, and you are the best of the best. Hey, we did it together, and we're just getting going. Don't forget that. Well, today, speaking of advocacy, we have an advocate and an author on our show today. Now, this is someone I have known for years. And listen, this is a woman that years ago interviewed me, so see, now I get to turn the tables around with her. And her name is Miss Nan Hawthorne, today known as Author. Oh, Nan, I bet you'd love to hear that, huh? Oh, gosh, yes. Well, actually, <laughs> I did publish a book way back in 1992, but this this is my my heart's work. So I, I feel even more authorish. <laughs> and well, yes, Nan, I love before, it. before we go through all that, I know you did a lot of work before helping with people with disabilities. Yeah. So how about if you first share with our listeners how you not only became involved in the disability community, but why you chose to be an advocate for people with disabilities? Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm just born that way, I think. I, a friend of mine who did spiritual um guided things, whatever, um, you see how articulate I am, um, had me do a guided imagery thing, and I discovered that the sword I carried in my Im- image, my imagery, was named Champion. That was an insight huh. I had, and that's just been me forever. I was a strong feminist and involved in other aspects of it before I even knew I had a vision problem. Uh-huh. But um, I'm an educator at heart and a great believer in um, using every single opportunity possible uh, to share my knowledge and to encourage people to develop their knowledge of many different issues. And uh, I actually went to work for a Seattle organization called Community Services for the Blind and Partially Sighted and became, after a while, their manager of volunteers. So then I got a double advocacy going because I was an am a strong um, advocate for volunteering, which I prefer to call citizen service, and, uh, and of course, disability in general, uh, and uh, blended that together to encourage people who are disabled to volunteer and also for organizations that use volunteers not to take one look at a disabled person and think, oh, well, they can't help, because that's insane. There's no group of people in the world better practice at problem solving, and that's what volunteer managers need in their organization, problem solvers. So I, you know, I just, you know, I'm a great believer in, there's an, there's a, an expression in marketing, you're always selling. I always said you're always recruiting volunteers and what more if you're 
a person with a disability or knowledgeable about the subject, you are always educating people about disability. People don't remember that that's the one minority group everyone's eligible to join in a heartbeat and that it's probably one of the most important groups to fight for the betterment of society, the access to the world, because we may all need it someday. And uh, I'll just add that uh, after working in volunteer management for a number of years and actually making my mark, uh, then I wound up uh, just as it, in it, connected in an interesting way. One volunteer manager at an organization told me about a position opening at eSight Careers Network for a writer, and that was what I had been wanting to do, so I naturally gravitated to that and had six fabulous years as a content developer for them. And that's where you and I met, and... Uh, I just, I couldn't not advocate. I I almost can't tell you how this happens or why I do it because I don't know how not to. Uh, (laughs) That's probably the best answer. I I just believe that people, if they just know and have knowledge about something, uh, and will will create a better world. Wouldn't it be great if everyone had that philosophy? Well, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? It's so much easier to just, let the status quo go by or even to take a step backwards. I have to fight that, too, in myself. It's like, you know, okay, come on, let's just stop and stop being so idealistic. <laughs> no, I can't do it. <laughs> and uh, I also come by it honestly, I should say. Uh, my mother, um, as long as I've known her, which clearly is all my life, um, has is, is a natural advocate and a real feisty woman. She's now visually impaired herself from roughly the same thing I have, uh, macular degeneration. Mine's uh, just the Stargardt's disease version instead of um, age-related. But she's still fighting. And, uh, I mean, from a tiny age, we didn't cross picket lines. So I, that's just natural to me. So I, I owe it to an incredible woman. Your mother. My mother, Merle Ritter. How about that? Yeah, she's That is just, that is an awesome story. So just so our listeners understand, Nan, you did not begin your your life with a disability then? No, I did not. I actually, well, I did, but I didn't know it. When you're very young, your ability to uh, focus your eyesight is, is quite remarkable. And you can manage to get by and not even know you have a vision impairment. So though what I have is uh, congenital and hereditary, uh, congenital being the, the important issue, um, I didn't actually know I had a vision problem until I was in my teens. And even then, let's just say my father wasn't a big man for spending money on, on his children's med- medical uh, needs. Um, so I didn't actually find out I had a permanent disability until I was 25. All right. Well, and that's sad to hear about your father. Yeah, he was wanted, a wonderful ang- guy, but he was selfish. You know? <laughs> That's terrible. Well, great to hear you had a pioneer with your mother. Most certainly did. And, I, I just want to say one thing. <laughs> to Nan's point, if you're listening to the show today, you know, and if you are not a person with a disability, I refer to you as the temporarily 
able-bodied. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, you could join this group at any time in your life. Remember, I did not have that diagnosis of epilepsy until I was 31 years old. Mm-hmm. So I say to you as you're listening to the show today, get on board now. Get on, don't, don't let it be that you have to wait till something happens to you or a family member to get on board now. We all need to be together to make change here. And that is why I just feel it is wonderful to spread the news and educate people. And, Nan, you now have a new way of doing that with your new career. I want to mention that one of the leaders, managers in the Bender uh, family of companies, Jim Homey, always would talk to me about these great authors he read from Bookshare. And and this is how it came back that I got to interview Nan here for our show, even though I, I didn't know that she was now doing this, but had talked to her years <laughs> before. Nan, can you explain to everyone what Bookshare is? Absolutely. <clears throat> As uh, most people who know much about disability know about uh, the National Library Service, perhaps, uh, which is uh, a national organization, and there are other organizations similar to it in other countries that provides reading material that's in accessible forms for people with print disabilities. That's not just blindness or low vision, but also print, uh, print impairment like dyslexia and sometimes people who can't, literally can't hold a book. Uh, Bookshare is for those people, and what's different is that their approach to, um, to making books accessible is, is Something that I am just—I can't believe—I can't tell you how much I admire it. Uh, one of my big heroes is Timothy Berners-Lee. Excuse me, Sir Timothy Berners-Lee, who developed the web mm-hmm. because it has made all the difference. I mean, we're here right now because of it, and uh, it, it's—I consider it a, a level playing field uh, for just about anybody. Now, what Bookshare does instead of making taped recordings. Uh, or making or publishing braille books or the old um, LP recordings, they convert reading material into text format so that it can be used in a couple of different ways. You can either read the book um, in DAISY format, which is a standard for providing reading material in text format, in e-text, as some people say, um, and it can also be converted into braille. If for people who have uh, uh, refreshable Braille displays. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I know a great deal about Bookshare. Um, I'm, a, I'm a volunteer there of sorts, and I'm, uh, oh, I guess I am now for sure, because I'm going to start heading a, a historical fiction discussion group. So now I really am, <laughs> and I am thrilled to be doing so. But the, um, um, rather than having books sent to you by a library in on cassette or LP or in, in a Braille, published Braille book, or in many cases, large print, uh, from, when you join Bookshare, you actually can get books that you can read via your computer, whether using Braille or speech output or screen magnification. Or as I do, I use another piece of software to convert it into an MP3 and listen to it on my iPod, for heaven's sake. Um, and their philosophy from the very beginning, I actually interviewed someone from there years ago for eSight as well. Their whole philosophy is that people 
want to read, that you know, visually impaired and other print-impaired people want to read, and one of the best ways to do it is just to get those books out in a format that is then flexible enough for different people to use. I hope I'm expressing myself. Yes. Uh, excellent. And I was thrilled to hear about it. I would like, I would love it if all publishers simply provided the e-text of a book. They keep telling me they can't do that. I don't know why not, but uh, uh, they have elaborate reasons why they can't. Much of it is paranoia that people will share their books. They should be mm-hmm. lucky anybody's reading anything at all, the way things are going these days. Uh, but they're afraid of losing the money, I guess. And uh, um, But if they could do that, there would be no... Uh, written material, published material that wasn't accessible just by its nature. But mm-hmm. people get the books into uh, accessible format through Bookshare a couple of different ways. Um, I've tried to be an advocate for authors I know getting their books to Bookshare. Uh, they either uh, actually rip up a book, which they do with bestsellers, and feed it into a scanner that turns it into text, which seems so... Unnecessary. That book should have just come that way. But uh, or they have volunteers go through and scan the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jackie McBride, for example, is a woman I've worked with there, and she she goes through and scans the book, and then someone else goes through it and validates it, which means goes through and makes sure it really is identical to the print book, which is done a number of ways as well. And as a result, because people are enthusiastically scanning and uh, and validating books they love, um, the, oops, I think we have a commercial break. Yes, well, listen, we're going to talk more as soon as we come back. We're just going to break for a minute. If you just joined us, we're talking to Nan Hawthorne, author, and we'll be right back. Joyce Bender, where disability matters on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5787. 
5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, you're in for a treat because we're talking to Nan Off Nan Hawthorne, author, and we will be talking about her book here in a minute. But Nan, for our listeners today, uh, if you are a person who is blind and would like to read one of your books and you do not know Braille, you would still be able to read it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, on, specifically on uh, Bookshare, the books simply come as, as a form of e-text, and they make it available to be downloaded either as, uh, basically it's a form of RTS, I believe, a rich text format, which you can then read any way you want to um, on your computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, technically anybody could read it then. Uh, only people who are eligible to be members of, Shook, of Bookshare can actually download the item, but at that point it's simply text, and you can read it with screen reader or uh, magnification or any way you want. And they also provide it in a form that's coded to work with Braille. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, in, it's in any format you need it, period. Yeah. Uh, if you need to make it audio, there is software out there like text audio that can convert um, text files into um, MP3. Well, that is so great because we do have a question uh, from one of our listeners in Connecticut, and that is from Cindy Nan. Um, with your books, are you able to provide these to people that use speech recognition? Oh, yeah. That's how I, I'm visually impaired myself, and that's, um, you simply have to download the book in the DAISY format. They give away the DAISY uh, interpreter free on Bookshare, and you can then just sit there with it in your heart's content and listen away. All right, and while we're on this, because I have such great listeners, I have another question for you from Kentucky, from Tom, and that is, Nan, my question is, what gave you, I shall say, the hope, the ability to be a risk taker, the belief you could do this, when I see that so many people who are people who are blind are treated as if all options are closed to them? Oh, what a hard question to answer, Tom, because, you know, so much of it's personality. I often say that people with disabilities magnify whatever they were before they got it, and, of course, that's assuming people who were not disabled before. And I was always resourceful and energetic and a bit on the ADHD side, so I couldn't not have done it. And, frankly, I started writing at the age of seven and announced to the world then that I was going to be an authoress when I grow up, I'm happy just to be an author now um, <clears throat> and not with the extra ESS. And I, I wasn't going to let anything stop me. I and mean, part of it is that writing itself I adore. Mm-hmm. I discovered that more than ever in the two and a half years I've been working on my novel. And you know, I, I really figured out that I would keep writing if, even if the only way I could ever share it. And this mm-hmm. is getting to be more and more common with writers. The only way I could share it would be to give it away uh, because I, it's more important to me than making a living. Of course, making a living is a nice thing too, but, and so one tries to 
produce a book and market it in a way. But answering the question about hope, which is really at the heart of this, you have to simply have the personality and spirit never to allow anyone to tell you you can't do something. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people who are in positions of power, like employers, can say that to you and mean it. But you, there's always a way to find to do something you love, whether you do it as a volunteer, whether you start your own business, um, whether you do it simply as a, something you adore and love as a hobby or as an art. It, it, there's always a way to do it. The only person who can truly stop you is you. And believe me, you don't have to be disabled to have learned helplessness. Um, I know so many people who that just knock me down because I'm, you know, here I have this actual, in fact, physical thing that threatens to prevent me from doing things. Um, and they don't, but they still refuse to do what they want uh, to follow their bliss, as James uh, uh, Campbell would say. And you just have to do it. And people who stop themselves are letting other people uh, command them and work through them. I hope that helped. Oh, I think that is so awesome, and it is so true, because you know what? When you listen to other people, this can be the end. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're listening to, it's you that has to make that decision. Don't you agree with that, Nan? I totally agree. I think resourcefulness is probably the single greatest quality you can develop, and it's not easy, but, I mean, I'm 56 now, but not that I wasn't incredibly resourceful at five, but... uh, um, you know, you, you, you do learn that it really is up to you. I've been dealing with a friend recently who um, doesn't have a, a visual disability or an obvious disability, and I'm not even sure she has a disability, but she has talked herself into this life of utter despair. And the message I've been trying to give her for months is it's a choice. It's always a choice because mm-hmm. if X isn't going to work, well, then go do Y, you know, or do X your own way. It really does. You just have to get the spirit. Now, a lot of people have trouble getting the spirit to do it because they're depressed, clinically depressed. Mm-hmm. And that you can deal with. Talk mm-hmm. to a doctor. Find out what you can do about it. Because if you can get to the point, and I'll be honest, I'm on Zoloft, um, it gets me to a point of even keel where everything that happens to me that disappoints me is real, not imagined. And you can overcome real disappointment. Oh, such powerful words. Oh, thank you. Such powerful words written by someone that would be a good writer. Oh, yeah, you know, I've often thought of doing that. (laughs) Nan, um, and I agree with everything that that you are saying. I wanted to ask you one other question about Bookshare. Yeah. Apparently, then, from everything you're saying, you don't have to know JAWS software to, to use this. Oh, no, not at all. Or, fact, or to I, read one of your books. I don't use JAWS. I use uh, ZoomText, and there are other ones. Uh, technically, you could even use um, Microsoft Narrator, which is on Windows. Um, or you could just read it visually if you're able or... You can you know, convert it to MP3, as I said. No, it's, there's JAWS is not a, a need what, whatsoever. Anybody with any disability that needs <coughs> material like this can. Okay, well, now to the most important question oh, of good. the day. 
And that is, Nan, tell us what made you decide to become an author. I mean, a for real author. A for real author. Yeah, because I know you've been, as you mentioned, you were writing forever anyway. Yes. Well, you know, I, I've loved to write. I wrote my first short story at uh, seven, where a lot of people aren't even really writing very much at that point. Um, but and, and the thing that made the change that makes what happened a couple weeks ago, namely the release of my book, An Involuntary King, um, happened is that a friend and I met at camp in southeast Alaska. And she and I started play-acting a story about a king and a queen. And being an active girl, I picked the male characters. I always did, and I still do more often than not. But I, um, she and I started this story, and we started out by writing letters to each other oh. of these characters mm-hmm. because we didn't live in the same town. But then we ran out of a reason why this king and queen would always be apart and had to write letters to each other, so we started writing what we called scenes, which were just stories about the people. And I still have those. In fact, I have them on a website, and I'm going to be putting them on my own website soon. Um, they're pretty florid. <laughs> I mean, nothing calm ever happens to these people. People are always throwing themselves into the ocean or, you know, having battles over over a loved one or some such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only a little less dramatic now, but it still is. And we, we wrote those stories for about five years until she lost interest. But I didn't stop. I continued to rope every friend I could find into it uh, to the point now that I could list in, in the introduction of my book, I list a number of the people who helped me develop characters. And that even though I stopped writing these stories, and this is a good 35 years ago or more, um, I, I don't think there's a single day in my life I haven't thought about the characters in this particular book. They were my friends. I remember when I was a lonely teenager in Chicago wishing you know, Lawrence and Josephine and Laird and Shannon and Rory and crowd would all get on the bus and sit with me and we could talk. Um, so these were very good friends of mine for years. I went on to do other writing. I wrote about volunteer management and a number of other topics, um, write about uh, employment and disability issues for eSight and elsewhere, and, um, and, and various aspects of other things, including um, some crafts, and uh, also um, feminist spirituality I wrote about for a while. That's my first book, was a women in self-esteem book using goddess imagery, um, loving the goddess within. And, uh, but it, I said to my husband one day, I don't really know if I can write fiction anymore. Well, the rest is history because apparently I can. And I got started thanks to a creative writing group I run on Yahoo groups called Ghost Letters, um, which, we, which I founded about 13 years ago and is still going strong. I decided, hey, you know, my husband said, why don't you use your old characters, you know, the king and the queen, et cetera. So I went on there and I started writing letters as two of the characters from those old stories, which is what ghost letters is. Ghost letters, you, every person who belongs writes emails or stories um, that are from somebody fictitious or, or historical. You can't post as yourself. You can only post as... Doctor Who or, you know, President Lincoln or somebody like that or, you know, anything or an original character, which is the most common. 
And that slowly started developing into a novel. And this was two and a half years ago. And I decided, well, darn, I'm going to give this a try. And let's put it this way, approximately 45,000 words later, (laughs) I realized I was going to have to cut it back uh, to just about 30. Well, we're going to talk about this book more as soon as we come back from break. You are listening to Joyce Bender with author Nan Hawthorne. We'll be right back on voiceamerica.com where disability matters. Don't go away. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. (laughs) Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back, this is Joyce Bender and I'm here with our guest, Nan Hawthorne, a woman who is showing the world, does not matter if I have a disability, I can do what I want to do, and she is, she's a woman (laughs) with a visual impairment, and she's also an author. And isn't that awesome? That's what I say. Don't wait. Don't wait. Move forward. That's the only way we're going to make a difference. You've got to move forward the way Nan has. Well, we were asking you, Nan, uh, what made you decide to become an author, but I would like our listeners to hear about your first book, An Involuntary King. This is actually my first novel. I had First a, novel, sorry. I had a nonfiction book back in 1992, which I'm, I'm proud of, um, Loving the Goddess Within, and that's also on Bookshare. And is that the name of it? Yes. Loving the Goddess Within was your first nonfiction book. 
that book is a, well, your first book, period, but that book is a book about believing in yourself for women, finding that inner strength. This book is a novel. This is a novel, and it takes place in Anglo-Saxon England, which for those who are not history buffs, before the Norman Conquest, England, at least for five or more, 500 or more years, was uh, a number of kingdoms uh, loosely or uh, tightly woven uh, that were run by people of Anglo-Saxon or Jute um, background, a Germanic background, and for a while there, thanks to the fact that Danes loved to go grab bits of it, uh, Danes as well. And I'm writing about the late 8th century, uh, which is just about the time Charlemagne shows up on the, the European scene. And one of the things that's important to know is, is that the expression Dark Ages, which is very much the expression people use for the period I write about, meant something completely different than we think it does. It was actually expressed in a poem, I believe, and it was talking about some other aspect of history than the lack of history. The fact of the matter is we know a great deal about England between the time of the Romans leaving um, and the Norman Conquest, thanks to the fact that Saxon clerics wrote everything down. And King Alfred the Great, I'm sure everybody's heard of, was even more into it. He was known for traveling about uh, with carts and carts of scrolls because he read and wrote constantly and he recorded everything. Wait, wait, one more time. Explain what Dark Ages meant. Dark Ages, people think it means that it's a period when we don't know what was going on and everybody was going around uh, raping and pillaging and, and generally raiding. Um, the fact of the matter is it was, it was, I don't know the actual meaning that it originally meant in the poem. I think it had to do with... Um, more than anything else, the fact that, that societies were struggling to become stable. And you know, the fact of the matter is we know a great deal about the Dark Ages all over Europe. And, um, it, it, you know, there's people think, well, you, you can't write about that period because nobody knows anything about it. Well, but isn't that amazing? Why had you bring that up? Isn't it amazing how words are, are misused but then actually become sort of like a new term? Yes. That, yes. that is so amazing with the semantics, you know, the, the meaning of words, how, how that goes. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, no problem. It's like the, that expression, you know, music has power to, uh, now I can't even remember the rest of it, to soothe the savage breast. A lot of people think it's savage beast. Oh. And actually, it always was the savage breast, and you know it meant nothing like what we think it does, and that's actually pretty true of a lot of things. Um, that period, ironically, the reason I picked the late 8th century, which would be the late 700s, is that I thought nobody knew anything about it, so I, you know, this was when I was 15. I decided that that was a time I could write about. Nobody could tell me X didn't happen. But the fact of the matter is that they do know... <laughs> They do know that my king didn't exist, you know, and that the country he's the king of didn't exist. Fortunately, there's this expression, alternate history. And uh, so I chose just to say my book is alternate history. I talk about a kingdom that never existed, but I did everything I could in my power in the last two and a half years to learn what I could about Anglo-Saxon England, and I have come to adore it and will never write about anything else. That's how much I like it. It was a 
time when women had more rights than they would until the late 19th century. It was a period when um, the very notion we have of, of justice uh, that led to the American uh, Revolutionary War was instilled in the people. And it's a fascinating period. It's nothing like you think. And uh, it's not a bunch of, you know, berserkers running around axing everybody. That happened, too, but that's not the point. Now, my book uh, concerns a man who, as a very young man, loses his father and older brother. The older brother was the one who was going to become king. In Anglo-Saxon England, you didn't just automatically become king. A group called the Witten, which was a council of of men and sometimes women um, had to choose whether or not the person was really qualified. Uh, but in this particular case, that's what my character Lawrence uh, has to uh, has to prove himself. He has to prove himself that he can be king. He can be a good king, and not only to him, to others but also to himself. And much of the book is about his inner conflict over whether or not he's a good king. And he is uh, married to the woman he was a fiance to when they were just small children, but they they're very much in love. And uh, she's very beautiful. And as a couple of the people who wrote and review, re, excuse me, written reviews about my book have pointed out, her own beauty is something of the trap that leads to much of the conflict in the book. She is adored by you know various men who come in conflict in a couple of cases. And uh, one man in particular, uh, as I put it on the cover, a a darkly sensual mercenary, um, pursues her relentlessly through the book and is at the heart of most of the conflict in the book. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's that whole love story and the separations, thanks to the the struggles and the wars, um, how they manage to stay connected and in love and, and to strengthen each other. There's also humor. I have a lot of fun with some... Um, oh, I, ha- I have a group of bandits, and I first started to name them Anglo-Saxon names, and I said, oh, that's ridiculous. Nobody will remember who's who. So I changed their names to Stump, Crawler, and Bear. And <laughs> as a result, um, they turned even more humorous as I wrote about them. Let's see, what else can I tell you about it? Uh, two very important characters in the book are two Irish bards, um, Shannon and Rory, and uh, they act as helpers to and saviors of the king and queen at one point or another. And they are actually going to be transported through time and space for my next novel and my series of paranormal mysteries uh, because to uh, about 150 years later in Winchester in England. Um, in the 10th century, because I love them so much, I just have to write a series of novels about them. So they, a couple of characters from this book will, will continue as long as I'm writing. Well, now let me ask you a question for one minute here. Yeah. If, if a listener today wants to purchase one of your uh, books, where do they get it? How do they get it? Well, if you want to buy the book, the actual physical book, which is a big, long, 648-page book, trade paperback side, Size. Uh, you can get that through Amazon just by searching for an involuntary king. You can also go to my own online bookstore, which is called MedievalNovels.com, M-E-D-I-E-V-A-L-Novels, N-O-V-E-L-S.com. 
You can find it on the home page of that. But you can also just go straight to Amazon for that. It's $27.99, and that's because it's a very big, fat book. Um, but you can also, if you're eligible for membership in Bookshare, uh, just take it out like you would like any library in uh, alternate format. Okay, and once again, do you want to give those websites again? Okay, uh, well, of course, Amazon. But uh, my, my website is an online Amazon associate bookseller, and it's www.medieval, M-E-D-I-E-V-A-L-novels, N-O-V-E-L-S, dot com. And actually, if you go to my website, nanhawthorne.com, you'll be able to find anything you need to know about books or other writings of mine. NanHawthorne.com. You got it. Okay, and the name of the book again? An Involuntary King. Um, it, the full title is An Involuntary King, A Tale of Anglo-Saxon England. And he's involuntary because he didn't expect to be king, and he didn't really want to be king. And how, I, how long did this take you to write this again? Uh, it took me about two and a half years off and on. There were peri- fallow periods. If I had written it solidly just through, it probably would have taken me a little over a year. And uh, it's just, it's, I, my particular process uh, doesn't lend itself well to, to teaching because I, I believe that you, at least the way I write, I know my characters through and through know everything about them and how they feel and react. And I set them down in a situation, and then I just let them write the book. <laughs> um, I don't know at the beginning of a scene what's going to happen because I, know, because I know how my characters interact will create the scene. And that's just a talent I have. Boy, that is, that is awesome. Oh, that's what makes it so fun. I mean, I yeah, don't that know is awesome. I mean, they may have a, a destination they have to get to, but I don't know for a fact. In fact, uh, when I run into points where I'm feeling stuck, I actually create little character panels where I throw the question out, and then they, usually trying to get each other's goat, go through and say, this is what should happen. How about that? Well, let me tell you what, Nan. Yeah. We are going to be your new audience. And I'm going to keep everyone up to date on all of your books. We're behind you 100%. And we'll be right back after this break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Nan. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. 
People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. Now listen, if you happen to just join us, or if you just heard the last part of the show prior to this with Nan Hawthorne, an author, a woman who is a visual impairment, who is writing these books, listen, here's what I tell you to do. Tell all your friends. You know you can go back and listen to all these shows because they're archived on BenderConsult.com and on VoiceAmerica.com. So if you want to tell someone about it, just Tell them to go back to BenderConsult.com or VoiceAmerica.com and listen to the show with Nan Hawthorne. Nan, I know this is the last part of our show, but I did want to ask you, um, I assume you have a book you're working on right now, another novel? Yes, I'm actually doing the research for a series of novels um, that will, as I mentioned, um, have Shannon and Rory. Uh, not not the real ones from the late 8th century, but a, a whole new pair of people who are otherwise exactly like themselves, um, in uh, mid-10th mid century Winchester, which was mm-hmm. the capital of England at that time. And uh, there'll be paranormal mysteries. Uh, the first one, for example, will involve a, a woman helping Shannon get out of the rain, and then w- when he gets to the next town, he finds out that the woman and and her house burned to the ground 20 years before, and the rest of the story is, okay, what happened? You know, How could he have had that experience, and who killed her, etc.? And that's going to be a whole series uh, that will involve two of those, those two characters, and I'm, I'm really excited because the difference between that one and this one is this is totally original. These aren't from stories I wrote when I was a teenager. <laughs> so they'll be news to me, too. Well, that's great. You know, I love mysteries. Oh, who doesn't? Yes, we we have a mystery book club at Bender. Oh, wonderful. And we have met, we have had on our show both Jeffrey Deaver, uh-huh. who, as you know, is a blockbuster mystery author, and Karen Slaughter, both. Oh, you bet. And, you bet. Um, and, and I, I just love them. So I'm sure we'll look forward to this. If, when are we going to know the title of this book? The first one will be called Out of the Storm, and I wouldn't look for it for about two years. Okay. That's about how long. Well, that, you can come back on whenever you know it's coming okay, out. Okay, sounds good. One thing I wanted to mention, too, is that writing, and, and this I would like to go out as encouragement to writers who are afraid they're just going to get turned away by publishers. There's a whole new movement in publishing right now called independent publishing. It's similar to the indie film industry and the indie um, music recording industry. People are actually 
publishing their own books um, or publishing through small presses, and it's nothing like what we used to call the old vanity press. These are quality books that are published, uh, and frankly, mine was published this way, through what are called pods, uh, publish on demand. And what I'm part of a group called the Independent Authors Guild. I'm on their board. And our whole belief is that because publishing companies, and we jokingly call them the literary industrial complex, have gotten to be so risk-adverse that they're not publishing fine work. I mean, somebody like Charles Dickens wouldn't get published today. In fact, most of the people you know of as great authors wouldn't get published today because they won't sell millions. So the Independent Authors Guild is all about making sure that people, that readers get to choose what they want to read, that it's not what some high-flown, you know, six-figure publisher, uh, editor thinks is, is sellable. Mm-hmm. It's what people, and people who are into genre, not so much mystery, because mysteries are generally popular, uh, but historical fiction, for example, and anybody who's into science fiction knows that there are a lot fewer science fiction novels than there ought to be. And I certainly feel that way. I mean, history is kind of a broad concept. Um, so in, when you're looking for books, you're going to find more books that were published independently and not part of, you know, say, Penguin or Scribner or Random House. You're going to find a lot more that are published through uh, pods, and it's exciting. I've been looking at Lulu.com, where you could just go on and publish a 30-page essay if you want to, and there's no charge up front, and it's, it's going to be your responsibility to make sure you're not putting out trash, uh, you know, badly written, badly edited books. You have to make sure that you're putting out something that's high quality. But after that, it's up to the people who want to buy your book or read your book uh, to decide whether it was worthwhile. And I, I'm a populist, believe me. I'm a great believer in the consumer decides. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel that way about books now. So this means that people, I know one woman who might even be listening now, who has a bunch of essays she has written about being blind, and I'm encouraging her to publish it on her own because these days you don't have to worry about not... Uh, being able to get into the marketing um, cycle. You can do that yourself. So that's, that's my encouragement to people who think they can't write. You know, make sure you're good at it, and then you do the book. You don't need to wait for anybody's approval. Nobody. Right, and you know what? Hmm. Think of, there, there are stories today even of people that have ended up being in, like, I'm sure you've seen these stories on CNN in major uh, popular rock bands or whatever, and they found them on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And, and, and this is how the world the has changed industry. today. You can make your own movie, you can make your own video, and you can get your book published. And so, you know. For some reason, books are, you know, people have been reluctant about that, but I, I suspect it's people who don't want to see the major publishing industry take a hit. You know um, what? That one thing you said would be terrible. Remember you said about Charles Dickens? That just happens to be one of my favorite authors. All right, excellent. I love mysteries, but I have a special set-aside place for Charles Dickens. Absolutely. And, I and mean, that's hard to envision. That's hard to envision, but I'll bet you're right. And the person that, that t- published t- him, you know, took a chance. But, yeah. but 
went with quality and what the readers asked for. That's the important thing to me. Is I don't even care if a book is fantastic. If people love it, that's what matters. That's why I wrote this book. This particular book I wrote because it hit me. I'm you know, not old, but I will be pretty soon. Oh, and no, you know you won't be because <laughs> I'm 54 years old, so I know you won't be. Well, no. You've got a long way to go yet, man. Eventually, and I didn't want these characters to die with me, even mm-hmm. if it isn't for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I wrote this book so that Lawrence and Josephine and Rory and Shannon, etc., would all be names that people know and love. And I already have a following. The book just came out. So I must have done it right. (laughs) That is awesome. And, again, uh, Involuntary King, Nan Hawthorne, Mm -hmm. make sure you get a copy of that book. Nan, I want to ask you something. Sure. Everyone that's been on my show for the past four years, I asked these last two questions. Oh, wonderful. And I know... This next one's a little bit hard to answer, but I'm still going to ask you. In your life up to this point, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? My greatest accomplishment? This mm-hmm. book. And this book? just simply making it happen. It was yes. a lot of work. So definitely this book, but I also feel that just my, my desire to care about people and to be their champion and I consider this book part of that. Um, I told my husband the day my book came out was the high point of my life. That's not a, next, the second most important high point. Excuse me. Marrying him was the first point. Um, but that's not quite what you're asking. I would say my accomplishment was engineering the kind of person I am who could write and get this book published. Oh, I think that is awesome. Yeah. And by the way, congratulations to you because that is truthfully an enormous accomplishment, what you did. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I took a one look at the book and said, oh, my God, no wonder I'm so tired. Right. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and the last question, Nan, that I also have asked every person that's ever been on the show is if you had one message to leave with our listeners today, what would that message be? Simply don't let anybody else decide for you. And I guess as part of that, one way to make sure you can do what you want to do is you have to be willing to look at all the possibilities, all the options. There's a wonderful book, I don't even know if it's available anymore, called Wishcraft, W-I-S-H-C-R-A-F-T by Barbara Scher, S-E-T-R, I know you know about it, um, mm-hmm. that talks about how to get what you really want. And the whole point of it is you've just got to explore it and find what it is you want to do and what about it makes your, you know, your heart sing. And then just do it. It's not, anybody, it's not up to anybody else. It's you. And disability has nothing to do with it. Isn't that the truth? And you know what, Nan? We end every show with a quote from famous civil rights leader, or a leader in the community for people with disabilities. And in fitting with everything you're saying, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. said, remember the word work, waiting, the word waiting, waiting almost always means never. Absolutely. No more waiting. No more waiting. You bet. If you want to work, 
No more waiting. Get out there and make it happen. Nan, thank you very much for being our guest today, and we wish you only the very best. Thank you. And to everyone else, see you next week. Joyce Bender on Disability Matters at VoiceAmerica.com. See you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.